Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered. We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From systemic trauma to abusive power to the unspoken rules of cover-ups and corruption, Mandy Irby and Phoebe will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing humanity back to medicine. Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Pulse Check Podcast. I'm Hehe. And I'm Mandy. And we are going to be talking about the care penalty and devaluation of care today. Now, these may be terms that you're familiar with, and they may not be terms that you are familiar with. So let me break it down for you really quick before we dive completely in. The care penalty states that nurses are doing women's work, and therefore they will pay penalties for doing that work and for being women, such as lower wages and unsafe work conditions and um, inappropriate staffing. Devaluation of care says that because women are doing this woman's work, we don't have to value it as much as male-dominated or male-led industries. You can see how both of these can pose a real problem, not only for the safety and well-being of our nurses, but also how that might ripple out and impact patient care. Today, Manny and I are going to be diving deep into these topics, so buckle up and join us. Mandy, what are your thoughts about these absolutely ridiculous topics, but they're so true. You like almost can't walk into a hospital and not see these. Oh yeah, for sure. He, he, I want to say first, if you're listening and you think this doesn't apply to you, I urge you to continue to listen and let us prove you wrong because this like care tax, almost this, um, devaluation of nursing care, um, healthcare workers impacts everyone. And especially if you're in healthcare, we want you to be part of this conversation, even if you think it doesn't apply. And he, he, we are talking about the deadly shame white paper written by national nurses United. And we can link that paper. It is a gigantic beast. Oh my gosh. It is something you need to bookmark. Please, please, please. You will thank us for it. And then you will go become a member of National Nurses United, regardless of where you are in the country or where you are in your healthcare professional journey. This is something to be on our bookmarks. This is something to pay attention to. It is 92 pages of 
incredibly written material about nurses. It's called redressing the devaluation of registered nurse labor through pandemic equity. And it is brilliant. It is brilliant. And it is written. Um, it was published December, 2020, very relevant right now. We're, um, in the summer of 2021. And so it's timely, but also it, it just echoes what's been going on and, and relates to this like pressure cooker. That was the pandemic that showed us all of these inequities that's, that have been going on that have just not been as obvious. So my goal with this discussion, he, he is opening our eyes to what's happening. Like it is not just happening where you're at. It's not just happening where I'm at. And the public really, really needs to get on board with this because it, it affects them individually, their livelihood, their healthcare. I mean, we are helping each other in our community. So it affects everyone because it is a giant weakness inside of healthcare right now. So yeah, I read this and I got a lot of emotions about it. I actually started reading it, stopped reading it. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but it, it brought up anger, resentment, anger, (laughs) um, really just unfair. You know, I never wanted to be a nurse. I don't know if I told you that I was in college and I was like, Nope, that's not for me. That's a woman's job. (gasps) Oh my God. Can you believe? Like I thought that I was like, I don't want to do a woman's job. And I couldn't put my finger on why I just didn't want to be another woman because I'm cishet female and, and I don't, didn't want to be another woman in nursing because nursing was just, it was like teaching, you know, it's dominated by, um, women or, you know, the female identifying people. And what I maybe didn't realize was they aren't treated and respected as they should, because they have some of the most important roles in our society. Right. Maybe my baby feminist brain couldn't put a finger on it, but it, you know, the work is exceptionally challenging and scientific and rigorous and smart. And, you know, a lot of your, a lot of care comes from education and comes from your brain. Like I have to actively, I am working with my therapist on my ability to care for someone, whether I don't want to, whether I'm in a bad mood, whether I don't agree with them, whether I'm being secondarily dramatized, I can still care for someone. I can still put on this face and like put on the shield and just do my job. And I'm like working through that. And we will get to that um, topic as well from this paper in a different episode. Stay tuned for that mess of an episode, but it, it is, it's a, it's a very highly skilled job and it just isn't, isn't felt like that. It isn't treated like that from society and from, um, healthcare itself. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. So here's the thing. Nurses have always been the number one trusted industry in the U.S., right? Years and years and years, they win every year. Every year, nurses win. So why aren't they, you know, compensated as such? This devaluation of care, it's just so wild. And I guess we see it across other things like the the gender pay gap, right? Um, Oh, because 
this that's what this paper says it it's it just says it like if it's a thought it's like boom it's a thing and let's put a magnifying glass on it this paper talks about how it because it is a female dominated industry not dominated right well yeah, female dominated. It's female dominated. it's male led, but female dominated, right? One of my favorite quotes from this paper is the COVID-19 crisis has exposed how employers, lawmakers and society at large have systematically devalued care work. Labor that provides life-sustaining care to human beings and society. This is the work of registered nurses, a profession dominated by women. So this is so upsetting that the number one trusted, like if you want anyone around you on a plane, if you want anyone around you when you fall down, if you want anyone around you when you get in a car crash, people have said for years, we want a nurse. Yet our society and our lawmakers and our employees, we don't treat nurses that way. Why? Right. It's not valued with cash money and safe working environments. And maybe people think that it is. I did just recently talk to someone in, she's a birth worker and she's um, kind of a long side colleague of mine and was shocked at how much nurses made and assumed they made so much more. And you can look up um, public salaries in your state and see how much um, an average salary is for a nurse in your state. And it varies widely by state. And she was shocked. She was like, oh my gosh, I assumed they made way more because she values the work that they do and knows that it's life-saving. And this paper um, states that it's the care aspect that um, many people believe are natural instincts, like the female natural instincts. So you shouldn't be paid for your natural instinct, even though I don't, I don't believe that that is a natural instinct. And also, um, so what? <laughs> so if only certain people can do that and it is a natural instinct, then they should be paid higher because it should be more valuable, right? And instead, instead, it's just pushed aside as women's work. That's what they do. That's, you know, part of who they are. They just do that naturally. We just pay them for, um, I, I don't know, whatever else is less valuable, like their time. Um, and then also it's been highlighted in the pandemic that, um, they're treated in unfair wages, a giant gender, gender pay gap inside of nursing, unsafe working conditions, and then the expectation of women as a cultural norm as caregivers, which is also a bit trash. And it's just hand in hand in the, in the care or with the care penalty, right? That since this is an innate thing, because you are a female, not all nurses are female, obviously. Right. We don't have to pay you for that. It's just, that is bizarre. So when you say huge gender pay gap, you are meaning that male nurses make quite a lot more than female nurses, or are you talking about physician to nurses? Um, male nurses or, you know, uh, male identifying people or male presenting people um, versus female nurses are paid more in nursing. Um <laughs> not even the pay gap between doctors and nurses. So how is that possible when the whole care penalty and devaluation of care are based on it being a female 
characteristic. But then we're going to bring males in and we have assumed by these definitions that they don't have this innate caring kind of characteristic, but we're going to pay them more? Question mark? I don't have, I don't have a good answer for that because there's no good reason for it. Okay. And explain to me how you might justify this. Are there jobs that only male nurses can do? Are male nurses extra valuable to nursing units? I think every nurse at this point is a um, highly valuable asset to any healthcare unit. And um, it is a myth that there is a nursing shortage. So if that's what you've heard, if you're kind of sitting in your feels about, well, Mandy, there's a nursing shortage. Shouldn't we be grateful for anything that we get? Um, No, there's not a nursing shortage. There's a shortage of people willing to be disrespected and treated poorly and underpaid. And so if you're willing to be treated like that while doing a job that you can only do in the healthcare field and at the bedside, then there's a shortage, you know, that's, that is fine, but there's a shortage of people. It's, it's not a shortage. People go through nursing school. It's almost, instead of saying there's a nursing shortage, it should be said, um, that there's a, what is it? I just said this about my dishwasher disposable. There's a shortage of disposable humans willing to work in, um, unsafe conditions and be underpaid. My, 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 look at that PR spin. The healthcare industry has led the entire nation to believe Mm -hmm. we are in a nursing shortage when in reality, they've caused a deficit by just treating people shitty. Yeah. And, um, hashtag last pizza party. If you're not, if you're not following that, uh, you should, they talk about it a lot. They talk about, um, there is no nursing shortage. That's what they want you to believe. Oh, you're so lucky to be in it. That's why it's harder. Like it's, um, harder to get into nursing school or there's, um, there's a lot of competition because there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of people going through school, becoming nurses. There's a lot of nurses churning into the hospitals. There's a lot of nurses dying of COVID and churning out of hospitals. There was, that was happening before COVID. It's happening more now um, because in this pressure cooker, it was very obvious that they were disposable to um, their employers and even to society in the community, like the CDC um, guidelines, like they weren't protected under um, any sort of community protocol either. So it's a myth. Um, they tell you that so that you feel nurses feel, Oh my gosh, I'm doing good. I am helping. There's no one else that can do this. There's a shortage. They need me. And they fill that. They, you know, they repeat that story to you over and over and over so that you stay and willingly work in unsafe underpaid positions. And then they tell you, that you're so lucky to have this job and you're doing such good work and you're so important, but they don't actually value that with cash money, great healthcare, safe work conditions, um, equal pay, any of that. Literally none of it, not even one off that whole entire list. <laughs> you, know, you, you brought up a really, um, 
It's, I, it's not a good point. It's actually a really devastating point. But, you know, nurses constituted 63% of the overall cases of COVID in healthcare workers. This paper we're talking about talks about it and it goes into it. But nurses actually, they, they had 11.1% of nurses infected by COVID, right? Wow. Only 1.8 physicians and 3.1% of residents and non-attendings. Nurses, can you imagine 11 versus two, almost two and three? That so is incredible. Does that mean doctors are just healthier than nurses? Or did they get, did they get PPE that nurses weren't afforded? Is it because nurses are at the bedside almost a hundred percent of the time and physicians are actually bedtime very few, you know, few minutes a day compared to nurses. He, he, my heart rate is up. My heart rate is up. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm feeling it. Feeling it. I get it. it. Like, but you know, here's the thing. If we don't dive into these conversations, nobody else is as well. So there's not going to be any kind of change. So I think we're doing this paper, what we can do yeah, and spread this information as far as we can spread it because this paper is a paper and it it's there to guide and we have to keep talking about it we have to keep making changes and um, that's what we will be doing we have um, guests talking about all these topics that we've brought up already and we have additional conversations um, coming additional episodes about this paper and yes to your question um, no I don't know if doctors are healthier than nurses I would guess not. I would guess that they, I mean, they all, they have a higher risk of preterm labor, doctors and nurses. I know that there's a lot of pressure and stress around um, the physician job that is different and same than nurses. So I don't know that, but I do know that they were, yes, offered PPE and the uh, appropriate PPE. Yes. He, he, I know I were um, recording on zoom and I can see your face. I haven't talked to you about this, but yes, there are stories um, that I have heard and um, yes, I am a nurse and an active registered nurse. I was not at the bedside for most of 2020, however, and that was just really great timing and also um, a ton of moral injury that helped me make that decision on really great timing. Thank you, universe. Um, but there were stories, uh, many, many stories that I heard as I tried to support my friends that were still at the bedside as they decompressed and processed that they were laughed at and made fun of if they asked for uh, masks. This is not just near me, but this is um, stories from all over the country where masks were taken and locked up. They were taken away from readily accessible locations where they usually are, and they um, were not given the correct, you know, the safest respiratory protection. They were given the lesser masks and the um, N95s were removed and only given out um, if they, if the employers deemed it necessary because they were so expensive and physicians were regularly wearing N95s. Um, I'm not sure if they were always the clean ones or that that's when they started reusing them, but at the very beginning um, and weeks and months into the pandemic, nurses were denied appropriate um, safe in 95 and other respirators for protection and surgeons and other physicians 
um, in many locations were wearing them. And they were also, like you said, not at the bedside. They were doing telehealth and nurses weren't doing telehealth. You know, they were doing telehealth prior to. So they were being protected. And it really, it really highlights that employers, um, CDC, the, you know, healthcare industry, they knew how to protect people from COVID. They just chose not to protect nurses from COVID. They had the money to, and that's what kills me. You know, if you follow the show notes and you go to the paper that we're talking about on the the page where you kind of find the paper, there are videos underneath. And Mm -hmm. I spent some time watching those yesterday and it highlighted a point that I knew, but I often need a reminder because it is so cyclical and it's also invisible. So I don't always think about it, but it was the fact that hospitals are businesses, right? And we all know this, but these businesses are profitable. These hospitals are making millions and billions of dollars each year, yet they wanted to claim that PPE was so expensive. They want to claim that they can't afford to give the nurses their raises. They want to claim that they needed these million and billion dollar bailouts using taxpayer money to recuperate from COVID-19. Where's all your money going? You guys have money. You're a for-profit business. Yeah. And you have the money. Where is it? Oh, yeah. Well, we know where it is. Yeah. But hospitals don't make money when they have to take care of sick people. That is a topic for another day. How does that even happen? How does that even work? That is um, nurses, like newer nurses that I knew <laughs> would talk to me and be like, Mandy, they say that they can't pay us because they their ED is full of sick people. And I'm like, can you just think about that for a minute? And they're like, yeah, I'm shocked. We can't take care of sick people and make it. And also this was a finance, you know, having N95s to cover a need for a situation like this, or there have been um, other viruses that have required N95s and hospitals are always out of them. This was a financial decision that was made years ago that was in the best interest of the people who make the most money in the hospitals. Those videos are remarkable. Those shorts. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that for days after I was watching it. Yeah. I think everyone should, if, if you don't want to read a 92 page paper, I get it. Uh, I like skim it and I like have a lot of feels, but the, the, the images and that video is really amazing. Okay. So if you are a patient listening, this should make you angry. If you are a nurse listening, this should make you angry because you're telling me that the people who make the most money are making these decisions to benefit them and not benefit a patients that we are all here for question mark. Isn't that our goal is to get these people? Well, we're healthcare workers, right? But okay. Them aside, we're not even taking care of the people who keep our very profitable business in business. And now mm-hmm. we've looped back to the deficit that the hospital has created by treating people, you know, people like garbage. Right. It's all so cyclical and connected. And it's, it's just an interweb of gosh, dare I say corruption and deceit and greed. Yep. Ugh. Yep. 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 Yeah. If you don't take care of nurses and healthcare professionals, because it's not just nurses that that's what this paper is about, but it is not just nurses that are treated poorly. Then you're well in the pandemic, you have nurses not wearing appropriate PPE, not wearing appropriate masks, gowns, goggles, gloves, 
and not by their own fault. They were denied access, taking care of people who are sick or potentially could be sick from COVID as well. So it's just this cesspool of we'll deal with it when it happens um, of a deadly virus. And um, so I understand if nurses are and healthcare professionals are listening and can't hear all of this podcast at one time because um, we're talking about it lightly. We're talking about it very close to the time of COVID and um, there are deep and open wounds from the loss of COVID still out there. So we do recognize that and we have a privilege of being able to talk about it, but we understand if we're not giving it the weight that it deserves in your life and you're not able to listen as well. I don't think I'll ever be able to understand what it's like to be in your shoes because I'm not a nurse, first of all, and I certainly didn't serve frontline during the only pandemic that I've ever known. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, my heart definitely goes out to every listener out there who is experiencing feels and certainly, you know, just like in our opener, please take the time to, to take care for, you know, of yourself and for your own mental health. This episode will be here whenever you are ready to jump back in. Yeah. Um, And go read the paper when you're ready. Yeah, the paper actually is very empowering. I felt like it uncovered a lot. Um, and the paper was derived straight from nurses. Uh, this the authors of the the authors of the paper did listening sessions with the nurses. And so, you know, it's directly from your colleagues. It's directly mm-hmm. from people who are standing right beside you holding your hand in your same shoes. Um, Mandy. I think it's a good time to probably wrap up, but we started this whole talk with the care penalty and devaluation of care. So is there anything on your mind, any lasting thoughts of if people are feeling the pressures of these and they're looking around, just seeing the inequities so clearly what can they do as a nurse? What would be the first step for someone to take action to hopefully get themselves into a better situation? I really liked what you said and it's sticking with me. Um, when you said that a lot of this is invisible, a lot of the problems are invisible and that's on purpose, right? We're told not to talk about how much we make with each other. And we're told not to talk about the pay gap and it doesn't exist. We're told that we're heroes and we're told all of these silly things that keep it quiet within healthcare professionals. And it's also very invisible to the public. If you've ever had a patient, client, friend, family, be surprised by what you do and be surprised by how much time you're at the bedside and be surprised by your hours, then that your work is invisible. And I would, I would just urge you to be not invisible take up space, talk about what you do, talk about it at work, talk about it with your employer, write it down, all of the things that you're doing and bring, bringing that to your employer is not a surprise. It's not a surprise what you do. They know exactly what you do. They underpay you on purpose, but us as healthcare professionals talking about what we do as it is work and not care, which can be just swept under the rug is like, you're just a caring person. 
just the same as how people outside of healthcare use the word nurse. Oh, I nurse them back to health. Whoa, 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 whoa. That is different than what I do as work, right? We need to be differentiating and it is not all up to us to change what's going on because a lot of what's going on is gaslighting and it's, you know, disrespectful treatment, it's mistreatment, it's abuse. It's asking someone who's being abused to fix the problem, but listening, talking about listening to this stuff, being aware of it, talking about it may help you feel like, yeah, I am doing a lot. Care is hard. Care is work. This is how I can define it for myself. And for others, we can start making noise about it as work that is valuable, necessary, and life-saving because you do amazing work that is valuable, necessary, and life-saving. You know, the abuse is intentional, but you may get a pizza party out of it. Hey, Jesus. <laughs> we will dive into pizza parties in a different episode. We are so happy that you guys joined us today. Thank you so, so much. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes, and burnout, which leads to costly loss of talent. How much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out? If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.